Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, The Daniel Dilemma. In this series, you're going to meet a young man named Daniel who did something remarkable. He learned to stand firm in his faith and love others well despite living in a culture of compromise. Together, we'll learn how to walk closely with God without caving to pressure or alienating those we hope to reach. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Welcome Liquid Church, everybody. Hey, big hello to everybody watching online in living rooms. It's an honor to be with you uh, through your TV, your phone, your computer. And if you're at one of our live locations, welcome. I'm Pastor Tim. So glad you're here for our spring series called The Daniel Dilemma for the next five weeks. We're going to be going chapter by chapter through one of the most exciting books of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Daniel. I'm really excited about this. Our small groups are actually all coming together to study this as a five-week group series. And so we've got discussion guides, all sorts of exciting stuff for you. But uh, I got some big news to start. I I don't know if you saw this, uh, but the the news this week, New Jersey churches can now increase to 50% capacity. Can we make some noise? Praise God for that. That's a huge step forward. Really encouraging with Easter about a month away. Um, We are thanking Jesus. COVID hospitalizations are dropping. uh, Vaccine distribution ramping up. And hopefully over the coming weeks and months, we're going to be moving towards herd immunity. Now, we still got a ways to go, but hey, praise God there's light at the end of the tunnel. Amen? So starting next weekend, we're going to have increased seating at all three live locations. That's Parsippany, Mountainside, and Ocean Grove for everyone who feels comfortable worshiping live in person. So you still need to wear masks and reserve seats online, but I just want you to know there's a whole lot more seats now to sit in. So would you pray for us? Our pastors are working on plans to relaunch our four other locations later this year. So just pray for God's wisdom as we plan, because we've been seeing you you all. We really do. I mean, I'll just tell you, as as lead pastor, can I just share my heart? Uh, Once this pandemic is past us, I believe that our church is going to come back stronger and healthier than ever before. Say amen in the chat if you believe it. I want to prepare you guys for that, which is why we're doing this series, The Daniel Dilemma. Uh, It's actually based on a book by Chris Hodges. Great read. Can recommend it to you. And the dilemma is this. Um, You probably know. um, You and I are living in a world that's increasingly hostile towards Christian faith, and specifically hostile towards the Bible. God's word. And and the question is, how do you do what Daniel did? Because Daniel was God's guy living by God's word in a pagan culture called Babylon. And somehow Daniel was able to balance just kind of standing firm on the truth of God, holding fast to God's truth. Watch this. But at the same time, he was able to love well. He didn't compromise his convictions. He didn't lose his heart for people. Somehow Daniel was able to balance what? Grace and truth. And if ever there was a message for this cultural moment, I think this is it. Because our culture is rapidly changing. Have, Have you felt that? There's like this confusion and moral chaos all across America where people are kind of like, let's kick God out of the public square, get prayer out of schools. We can redefine marriage and core biblical beliefs. They're outdated. They're bigoted, man. And the thing is, it's like if you speak up or you push back, you'll get criticized. Or worse, you get canceled, right? Like Pastor Kyra talked about last week. It's like we're living in the United States of Babylon, (laughs) So a lot of Christians that I talk to, they feel like, you know what we got to do? We got we to hit back, man. We got to fight fire with fire, wage a culture war. 
and hit your enemy hard, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The problem, of course, is that bashing your enemy doesn't feel very loving (laughs) or (laughs) Jesus-like. In fact, a lot of Christian rhetoric that I see on the internet right now feels very condemning and judgmental to people outside the faith. And so watch this. Jesus gets a black eye. We compromise our witness. But, but do you see the dilemma? Like, how do you, how do you balance truth and, and grace in a culture that's growing coarser by the minute? How do you stand firm on biblical conviction without compromising your core beliefs? But watch, you also avoid bashing non-believers or wrecking relationships. Like, in a culture like ours, that's now increasingly hostile to faith, is it possible, look at this, to stand firm and, and, and love well and, and, and balance the two and live in this tension? You can call me crazy, but I believe it is. And Daniel shows us the way. Daniel stood firm in the corrupt culture of Babylon. He actually served in a pagan government that was as anti-Christ as it comes. But he led with integrity, and you know what? He loved everybody around him. And because of that, he became a person of influence. And that's what I want you and me to become, people who influence our culture for Christ. You know, Daniel's faith was put to the test over and over, but because he, he balanced the, the grace and the truth of God, he served actually under four different kings. Did you know that? And he became a powerful force for good and for God in a corrupt world. So I think his example gives us this very compelling model of how to live a godly life in an increasingly godless culture. So for the next five weeks, we're going to dig into Daniel chapters 1 through 6, and we're going to learn to live in this, this dynamic tension And find this balance is like, people, you know what? We stand up for the truth of God's word, but watch this. We stand out because the way we love and care for others, especially those who don't share our faith. Now, I need to tell you, if you want to get the most from this series, you need to join a small group today. Can we make some noise for our small group leaders? Come on, blow up the chat for them. You guys are amazing, incredible. Most of our small groups are actually meeting online right now, so it's very easy to join one today over Zoom. Just go to Liquid Church, or it's liquidgroups.com. We have our own website. You're going to find all these, these groups. There's actually over 60 groups. This is incredible. All ages and stages, days of the week that you can choose from. You can kind of scroll through the menu of groups and watch short videos of our leaders. They'll describe them to you. And here's the thing. Try out as many groups as you want until you find your best fit. It's a super easy way to meet new friends, dive deeper into Bible study, and get involved. And by the way, here's something cool. You don't have to even be in the state of New Jersey to join a small group anymore. Do you know that? So church online, join our church family, jump in a small group today. We also have an awesome discussion guide for this series. It's actually online and interactive, which is pretty cool. Just go to liquidchurch.com slash Daniel Dilemma. If you click get your group guide, you can download it right on your mobile app. Super cool. Proud of our team. So let's dive in. I am calling this message grace and, yeah, truth. Grace and truth together. Uh, it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? Um, Oreos and milk. The book of Daniel, let me tell you about it. It reads like an action story. It is not one of those you fall asleep in. It is filled with story after story of faith under fire, literally. You probably remember the story of the fiery furnace if you went to. Uh, anybody remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego from VeggieTales? Okay, we'll look at that account next week. And then we're going to look at the mysterious handwriting on the wall. We ever wonder where we get that phrase where God actually gives a prophecy that Daniel can interpret. And finally, we'll learn some lessons from the lion's den, probably the most famous story in the you know, Old Testament, Daniel and the lion's den. So we're going to go through the first six chapters in historical order because the last six chapters are actually end times prophecy. 
But I want you to understand this from the setup. These are ancient stories in the past. Yes, they are historical accounts, but I believe God gave them to you and me to provide a roadmap so that modern Christ followers, we could navigate our changing culture. Because Daniel's going to show us how we can live with integrity in times when, you know what, the rest of the world's basically rejecting God. In fact, that's the background of Daniel. The nation of Israel had repeatedly rejected God, and they were about to pay the price for it. And let me just say this, this happens in every generation, guys. Like, every nation, anytime people reject God as our king, or we put our faith in, in politics, or, or, or certain parties, or personalities, or we let the culture determine our values, we pay the consequences. And I, I think that's Amer where America is right now. We're in the middle of that. I mean, we were founded as one nation under God, but a lot of people right now are kind of turning their backs on him, and it's very dangerous. So friends, we got to keep our hearts and our face turned towards God. Type amen in the chat if you agree. Because if we don't, we'll pay a price. In Daniel's day, God said, hey, if, if my people reject me, they're going to be carried off as slaves. And that's what happens in chapter 1, verse 1. Let's open our Bibles. It says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of, everybody, Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, if you're wondering, like, where exactly is Babylon? Is that like on Long Island? Yes, it is actually. <laughs> but this is ancient Babylon, and it's located in the modern-day uh, nation of Iraq. And so this is the Middle East. It's around 605 B.C., and the Babylonians come to Jerusalem and besiege God's people. Now, here's the guy who led them, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the supreme leader of Babylon. By the way, what a beard. Look at that beard, right? God, you're getting some beard oil on that, man. The guy looks like kind of a hipster. And, uh, and when Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't mess with him. When Babylon invaded, defeat was certain. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't just defeat the Israelites. He took the most talented and useful ones into captivity or exile. In other words, he brought God's people back to Babylon for 70 years to serve as his slaves. It says this, The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his small g God. So this is bad. Nebuchadnezzar besieges the city. They loot the temple. They take God's people into exile. It says this in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, like his right-hand man, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now look at this description. Young men without any physical defect and handsome. Just, does this remind you of your pastor right now? Can we just say, I just was like, Lord, I love when I see my... <laughs> It says, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. These are smart people and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And guys, this is the group that Daniel was part of. Nebuchadnezzar, what they would do is when they invaded a country, they'd leave the poor people behind. But they'd take the young Jewish men, the smart ones from educated families who were actually well-trained. So in other words, Nebuchadnezzar's like, I want the best and the brightest and bring them back to Babylon as my prisoners of war. He said, you guys are actually going to serve in my palace. I'm going to use your wisdom and talent to serve me. Now, here's the question. First, though, Nebuchadnezzar says, I have to indoctrinate them. We got to teach these guys the culture and values of Babylon so that their loyalty will be to me. In other words, their heart needs to be with me, not with their God. You make sense? Now, you've heard that word indoctrinate before. Another word for it would, might be brainwash. 
He's like, we got to get this, this God talk out of them because they're Jewish people and they, they follow the Torah and, and, and they got to, you know, we got we to bring them to Babylon so that they worship Nebuchadnezzar. Now watch carefully how he indoctrinates them. Step one, it says, he was to teach them the what? The language and literature of the Babylonians. In other words, you want to brainwash someone, you first get them reading your stories, singing your songs, your values. So, so toss out the Torah and we'll give them People magazine, you know? Then they can start thinking about like the important stuff like Kim and Kanye and the Kardashians, right? Worshiping our idols. M music, movies, literature. That's how we start shaping their attitudes. Watch this. So they conform to the culture. That's how you indoctrinate young people. Step number two, verse five. The king assigned them a daily amount of, watch this, food and wine from the king's table. In other words, he's like, I'm going to feed them filet and cabernet. And some of you may be like, praise God, what's wrong with that, Tim? You know what? This is a big deal. Because that food was sacrificed to idols. So this broke every Jewish dietary law there was. This is dirty food in a religious sense. So watch what they're doing. You see it? They're corrupting them with Babylonian culture. You're going to watch our shows, listen to our music, eat our food. That's how we indoctrinate you. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Here it is. Daniel, his buddy Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Four young adults, Daniel and his three friends. Now, they're probably in their late teens. They're probably in their, maybe their early 20s, maybe. But it was a three-year indoctrination process. And basically, they said, we're going to brainwash these young men and forget their God, and you're going to become Babylonian. In other words, it's cultural conditioning. And it's very calculated. And listen to me, it's actually very evil. Well, let me make this personal. If you don't understand the times that you're living in, this culture will brainwash you out of biblical values. Because every culture has an agenda. Actually, better said, the culture isn't really to blame. It's the devil using culture to manipulate your mindset. And you may be like, oh, come on, Tim, what's the devil do? I'll show you in the next verse. The very first thing to brainwash these boys, they say, we're going to give each of you guys, listen to this, new names. We're going to change your identity. Now, you guys know this. Names are a sign of ownership, right? It's the family that you belong to. And, and these four men had beautiful Hebrew names that actually described their faith in God. Here's how they translate. I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew. Ready? Daniel in Hebrew actually means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. Isn't that beautiful? Mishael, it's actually a rhetorical question. Who's like my God? He's awesome. Azariah means the Lord helps. He's with me every step of the way. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Now, you guys know this, right? The names that your parents gave you, they're significant. They have meaning. You know, my parents named me Timothy Paul Lucas. And when I asked them, where'd you get that? You just like Timmy? And they're like, no, no, no. You're named after the apostle Paul and the young pastor Timothy. Now, I learned that when I was about nine years old. They didn't plan for me to be a pastor, but I kind of lived into it, didn't I? And when I became a father, I actually named my son Walker D. Lambert Lucas. His middle name, he goes by Dell, but that was my father's name. It's a funny family name. But I wanted my son to know that, you know what, Dell? You're walking, you're a walker. You're walking in the footsteps of your grandfather, a man who loved the Lord and was a man of integrity. Now, my guess is you have a name that your parents gave you, and you may or may not be living according to that name. But I know this, you're living according to some name. And here's the question. Are you believing what the culture says about you or what God says about you? It's, it's a big deal 
Because culture will intentionally try to change your identity. Watch this in verse 7. This is going to blow your mind. It says, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now listen to me. I told you culture has an agenda. And Babylon's number one goal is to change your identity. And listen to me, make you believe something about yourself that's absolutely false. Forget that you're a child of God. Forget that you're a beloved son or daughter of the Most High King. I got a new name for you, says our culture. Now, this is kind of scary if you understand the meanings. Take a look at this. Daniel, or God is my judge, that was his God-given name. They rename him Belteshazzar, which translates to Lady, Protect the King. In other words, they gave Daniel a female name. And you can do the research on this, but I'm just telling you, in every pagan culture in the ancient world, there has always been gender confusion. Again, you can look this up. Now, why gender confusion? Here's one of the reasons. Because the devil isn't just trying to trip you up sexually. He's trying to mess up your relationships where you're no longer even defined by God. You don't even know who you are anymore. I'm going to actually cause confusion at the core of people's identity. Now, can I just time out? Just, can, you, can you hear my heart as a pastor real quickly? I, I, I'm not criticizing, lean in. I'm not criticizing anybody struggling with gender dysphoria. I, I'm, not, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not condemning transgender folks or my gay friends. Kali and I have plenty of gay, lesbian friends. We have, we, we're friends with families we know who are wrestling through a painful transition process. And we genuinely love them and pray for them. We, we, don't, we don't reject or judge them. We love our friends. This is one of the things I love about being authentically Christian. Guess what? Because of Jesus, you don't have to agree with me for me to love you. I, I love plenty of people that I disagree with, watch this, biblically. But the Bible doesn't call me to condemn them, but actually to embrace them. Now watch this. I realize that feeling isn't always reciprocal towards Christians. Because our culture tries to confuse the issue and say, you got to conform to our values and say, no, 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 sexuality is your identity. But the truth is, our culture is trying to sell you a fake ID. To make you think you're something you're not and utterly erase who God designed you to be. The truth is this, sex is not God. Gender is not God. God is God. So you can't let the culture rename you. In Babylon, Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar. His buddy Hananiah, look at this, the Lord shows grace, his love, was renamed Shadrach, which translates to, I'm afraid of God. That's what our culture is going to tell you. You've got to be afraid of God, man. He's angry. The Christian God is toxic. Church stinks, man. Religion's controlling. You don't want God. He's not for you. There's a spirit of fear, not love and grace behind it. The third friend, Mishael, Look, look again, look at his name. Who's like God? He's like, my God's awesome. He can move mountains. Who's like him, man? You hear the confidence behind his name? They rename him Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, humiliated. In other words, I'm ashamed. I'm a coward. You see that? It went from confidence, watch this, to cowardice. I'm just telling you, man, culture will change your identity if you let it. And finally, Azariah, the Lord helps, right? God's my helper. When he's alongside, man, I could, I could do anything. My whole life is successful. God's a helper to me. He's renamed Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. Translation, you're not a servant of God. You're a slave to men. 
You're a servant of Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. You, your heart, baby, it belongs to Babylon. Now listen to me, church, because this is identity theft. And the devil will manipulate culture in order to confuse Christians and actually get you to question your identity in Christ. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I am. I compromise your belief. He'll make it seem foolish for you to stay faithful to God in a world like this. Like, let's just be honest. Christians are the butt of every joke, right? Late night punchlines. Movies and music just kind of love to lampoon our faith. And come on, we're not doing ourselves any favors. There's an epidemic of scandals among Christian leaders, right? You read the news. This one had a secret affair. This one's stealing money. This one's angry and abusive. And it makes non-believers say, it's like, see, I told you, those, those Bible-believing Christians, man, they're just like the rest of the world, only they're worse. They're hypocrites too. Let me be, just be clear about Babylon's goals. The devil's goal is to discredit God's word and disgrace his church through division and decadence. And can I just say, by and large, it's working. So many Christians today, I find, are actually intimidated by the culture, kind of shamed into silence. I better not say anything. Embarrassed by their faith. Like, well, you know, it's, I'm going to keep it private. I don't want to offend anybody. And can I just say, this is exactly what the enemy tried to do to Daniel. He wanted to obliterate his relationship with the living God. You got to seek the approval of the culture, not your creator. Now listen to me. When culture shifts, and it's shifting people, you better know who you are. I don't care what the world tries to name you. You are who God says you are. Amen? Type amen in the chat if you agree. Give him some praise. This is where Daniel starts to push back. Watch this. Daniel's like, um, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going along with this. Look at step two in the indoctrination program. Babylon gives him that new diet, right? The king's food and wine. And the goal is, I want you to compromise your convictions. Feed him filet and cabernet, food and wine from the king's table. Now remember, this food was polluted by idols. It was dirty food that broke every kosher law on the book. Verse 8 says, but Daniel, what's the word, church? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And I just want to pause here because I love the fact that Daniel asked for permission. You notice that? He, he didn't stand up going, hey, uh, you know what? Let me just say something. Now that I'm in Babylon, just let y'all guys all know, uh, y'all a bunch of pagans. Y'all going to hell in a handbasket. Okay, he's not a jerk about it. <laughs> he's not disrespectful. He doesn't say, I'm going to rip Nebuchadnezzar a new one on Facebook. He didn't join a militia. He actually says, sir, with all due respect, I'm a person of the book, of God's word, and have some moral convictions about what goes inside my temple. It says Daniel resolved. You know what that word resolved means? It means he, he made up his mind. He committed to a course of action, and he made a vow in his heart to remain pure in his body and his spirit. And some of you have felt this pressure. You have felt the pressure to compromise your convictions, right, at work, or maybe at school, or maybe with your kids, right? The, the culture is tempting you to watch this or, or wear that and, or, or drink this or smoke that. And Daniel said, in my heart, I'm not going to compromise my convictions. I'm going to love well, but I'm also going to stand firm. And notice he was respectful about it. What impact did this have? In Babylon, it said, now God had caused the official to show what? Favor and compassion to Daniel. He found favor because of, because of his respectful asking of questions. 
But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of, of my lord, the king Nebuchadnezzar, who assigned you that food and drink. Why should, what if he sees you looking worse than the other guys your age, right? The king will then have my head because of you. So dude's like, Nebuchadnezzar going to kill me, bro, if you don't eat his stuff. You're going to get sick and weak if you don't eat. And so Daniel, again, this is a, 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 there's a spirit of excellence on Daniel. He has a creative alternative. Watch Daniel. He's so diplomatic. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over, over him and his friends, please test your servants for 10 days. You got to go to the next verse. I'm on the next verse. I'm on verse 12 now. Please test. We're going to have a taste test. Test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then I want you to compare our appearance with that of the other young men on Instagram who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. In other words, Daniel had this very creative plan. He said, we're going to have a taste test. You give the rest of the crew, the uh, recruits, you know, uh, cheesecake, factory, uh, fill them up, you know, on uh, uh, Amstel Light and uh, the best, you know, filet mignon. Fatten them up, man. Take them to Smashburger. But the four of us, we go on vegan. We're going to eat veggies and drink water. This is, this is where the Daniel fast comes from. See, Daniel understood that his soul needed nourishment if he was going to live a godly life in Babylon. So when the temptation to compromise his convictions came, he's ready. He said, put my friends and I to the test. And watch this. This is the first test of a lot we're going to see in the book of Daniel. Over and over, we're going to see how many times the faith of Daniel and his friends get tested. You know why? Because living for Christ in this culture will create a confrontation in your life. I'm just telling you. It's 2021. You got to be prepared for a test that's coming your way. Maybe you're facing that test right now. Maybe you're, you're facing a test in your school system. Or you're feeling that, that confrontation at your job. Or, 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 or you're feeling it as you watch what people post online. You're feeling that tension in some part of society. And the question is, are you going to actually respond with courage and conviction, or are you actually going to cave to the culture and compromise what you believe? Like when push comes to shove, will you actually stand up for the truth of God, or will you step back and cave the pressure? Because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to ruffle feathers. You are going to face a moment when this culture will confront what you believe as a follower of Christ. You know, in his book, um, Chris Hodges tells the story of when he was a college student at LSU, big university, and he worked part-time in the uh, maintenance department to make a little money between college classes. In between breaks, um, Chris would actually take out his Bible and read it on breaks, you know? Um, and most of the maintenance guys he worked with, they weren't Christian, right? He'd say, he said, they're kind of good old boys who ribbed him pretty, you know, pretty good. They're like, oh, look at Bible boy over there reading his, his Bible. He's a holy roller, you know, all that. And one day he's sitting there, and one of the campus security guys comes by the maintenance office and sees him reading his Bible. And the officer's name was Muhammad. He was a Muslim who worked on the security force on the campus. And he sees Chris reading his Bible, and he walks over and he says, I can prove to you you don't believe that book. And Chris is like, What? He says, I can prove to you, you don't believe everything in that book you're reading. And Chris is like, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I, I do believe it's actually the word of God. I, I believe every word of it. And Muhammad said, no, you don't. Not when push comes to shove. Can, can I test you? And it's funny because Chris goes, sure. And he thought, well, you know, he's going to pick some weird verse and quiz me or something. But instead, Muhammad goes, smack, and backhands him across the face. And literally, he fell to the floor. He's like, he's like what? 
what are you doing? And Muhammad picked up the Bible and he said, if you believe everything this book says, then turn the other cheek. Chris is like, you, you serious? Like, this is your test? And he, said, he said, I'm not a courageous guy, but something just rose up in me and, I, and said, all right, if that means something to you. And he turned his other cheek and boom, Muhammad actually cracked him again. And now he's literally on the ground seeing stars. It's like ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. His, his head is throbbing. And he said, I was, just, I was just so scared and disoriented. He said, I just picked up my Bible and, and just sat down. And, and at that moment, Muhammad kind of softened. He took off his cap and he walked over and said, you're the first real Christian I've ever met. Now tell me what you believe and why you believe it. And that was the start of a friendship that lasted the rest of his college career. Now I realize... Most of us are probably not going to be tested like that, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully no one's going around smacking Christians back and, around, you know, back and forth yet. <laughs> but the point is, culture will always create a confrontation. And you will be challenged at some point. At the job, at your school, even in your family. And when the culture shifts, it's critical you respond the right way. And that is with love. And this is why we're doing this series. Because as I look at our world, by and large, I don't see the church responding the right way to culture. I, I see these, these two extremes you see on the scales here, right? It's always out of balance because you have this one very dogmatic response that says, you know what, we're living in Babylon, I believe what I believe, and you're a dead wrong. Can I just say, look you in the eyes with all my heart, you're an abomination of God, so have a nice time in hell, right? You, you've seen that, that guy, that gal, okay? God's on my side, and i got nothing else to say to you. And technically, here's, technically, they're right, but it's not loving. <laughs> and here's the problem. God doesn't call Christians to be right. He calls us to be righteous. And there's actually a way of being right that is wrong in the eyes of God. If you're not, if you're not actually loving towards people, God's like, you're being right, but in the wrong way. Now watch this, though. On the other side, on the other side, there, there's some people like kind of put truth aside. They say, no, 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 stop being so rigid, man. This is, you got times change, bro. You know what? We need to change with the times. God is love. Jesus loves everybody. So let's just love and accept everybody, you know, as they are. And watch this. It sounds actually loving, doesn't it? It sounds generous. But watch this. In the name of love right now, there's a generation of Christians setting aside the truth of God and actually believing that they love people more than the God who created them. And they say things like, well, you know, love wins. Love, love wins over truth, you know, every time. You know, let that, and that's not right either. See, you can't abandon truth and say anything goes. That's just sloppy sentimentalism. You see the dilemma? We're just like Daniel. We're in this hostile culture, the United States of Babylon, caught between these two worlds. And guys, that's why we need the full gospel. We need the real Jesus who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Amen? Listen to how John describes Jesus this way. He says, we've seen his glory. What is the glo yeah, glory? What's the glory of the one and only Son? Here it is. He came from the Father, entered our world. Watch this. Full of, let's say it out loud, church. Full of grace and what? Truth. Not half full, full of both. That's why Jesus was total perfection. On the one hand, Jesus was totally righteous, totally, completely holy. He never violated one word of his father's book. That's truth. But watch this. At that same time holding the truth, prostitutes and tax collectors 
And sinners were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. He never compromised his convictions, and yet they felt totally loved and utterly accepted by him at the same time. That's grace. Jesus held grace and truth in perfect balance. He was full of compassion, but never wavered in his conviction. Amen? He extended God's love to everybody he met, but he held fast to his Father's word. Let me tell you something. You never need to apologize for God's truth. The Bible's what our faith is based on. And I realize it may seem like, like foolishness to the world, but to those who are being saved, this is the very wisdom of God. Amen? You know, at Liquid, one of our core values is truth is relevant. In other words, we believe this applies to daily life. Here's the problem. Our world says, no, no, truth isn't relevant. Truth is relative. Meaning, it, truth isn't fixed. It really depends on the time and the culture you're living. You know, I saw this week in a recent study, it found that only 35% of Americans believe in moral absolutes anymore. Meaning, meaning like murder is always wrong. Two out of three people basically mean moral choices are subjective. It's really up for you to decide what's right and what's wrong. You do you, whatever works for you. It's just shocking. Now, what's worse is look at this. Only 16% of people said, I make my decisions and choices in my life around what the Bible says, what God's word says is truth. And that's why right now, you look at Christians, you look at the rest of the world, there's not much difference. The reality is there's an increasing number of Christians that believe abortion, sex outside marriage, smoking weed, watching porn is actually morally acceptable because the thinking of Babylon goes, hey, if it feels good, it doesn't really hurt anybody. What's the big deal, man? Whatever, you do you. Can I tell you the truth? That's not a biblical worldview. It's a Babylonian view. Guys, you gotta wake up. You are living in the United States of Babylon. So you gotta understand what kind of church we are. At Liquid, can I tell you what kind of church we are? We are the kind of church that, oh man, we love and we welcome anybody, man. People from any background, all sorts of behaviors. You can get drunk uh, the night before and come walk in here smelling like weed and we're going to be like, we're so glad you're welcome to the Father's house. But watch this. We don't just love people as they are. We also love God as he is. And we love his word because we believe it's perfect and true. And here's the truth. We ain't going to compromise on that. We're not going to water this down to fit our culture or stay silent because it's unpopular. Because at the end of the day, I'd actually rather stand up for God than bow down to Babylon. Amen? That's the truth, guys. We have to be willing to say, you know what? We'll be modern in our music, but our message is timeless. You're going to hear the good old gospel of Jesus Christ because culture may change, but our God doesn't. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's no other name under heaven by which you might be saved. Amen? Blow it up, people. Come on. I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> I'm just telling you. We can't just scream the truth at people because no one would hear it. And that's why we need grace. God's amazing grace. Do you know what God's grace is? Grace is just the the radical love and kindness or favor of God when you're unlovable. What, what does our faith say? At the center of our book, Christ comes and he dies on a cross while you're spitting in his face. And so the truth is God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He just lavishes his love and grace on you, but it's the righteousness of Jesus that qualifies you for heaven. It's actually nothing you do. You can't pay for it. You can't pray enough for it. You can't serve enough, give enough, read your Bible enough to get into heaven. God saved you only by his grace. 
For it's by, listen to this verse, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this isn't from you. It's the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. Grace means it's a gift. Man, you got something you didn't pay for. So in this series, I want to help us learn how how do we balance truth and grace just like Daniel did, just like Jesus does. Because the reality is, guys, if we, if we don't have truth, we're just a bunch of confused people who look like the rest of the world. I need God's truth for my marriage. I need God's truth for my mind, how I think. I need God's truth for my mouth, how I speak. We don't change God's truth. We let his truth change us. But if we didn't have grace, I'd just tell you, oh man, I'd be the first to run out of this church. Because we'd be so self-righteous and cold and judgmental, all head, no heart. Right? Have you ever met, you've met people like that? Look at her. Well, I got a few problems, but at least I'm not as bad as her. Look at her. Did you hear what Kyra said? I'm messed up, but I ain't like that. We can't become judgmental because that's what the world is sick of. They feel judged and condemned by Christians. Why? Because we've forgotten how much Christ has forgiven us. Here's an easy way to remember it. I'll close with this. Truth minus grace is just mean. It's just mean. It comes across as heavy and and condemning and judgmental, but watch this. Grace without truth is meaningless. It's not genuine love. It's just sloppy agape. I don't really want to avoid, you know, have conflict. I I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers, but watch this. If you put grace and truth together, it's good medicine. It's God's prescription for a hurting world. We saw this last week with the woman caught in adultery. Remember that? What did Jesus tell her? He said, I don't condemn you. That's which one is that? That is what? That's that's grace. But then he says, now, go and what? Sin no more. What is that? That is, that's truth. Perfectly together, perfectly balanced. Grace and truth will help you stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. That's what happened for Daniel. He passed his first test with flying colors. We'll close with this verse. You're wondering what happened to him. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. In other words, they got this vegan glow. They stood out. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Isn't that cool? Daniel and his friends were tested for 10 days, and they came out 10 times stronger and better than everybody else. Listen, you got to choose what kind of Christian you're going to be. There's chameleon Christians you know what that is? Chameleon changes, matches surroundings. Chameleon Christians disconform to the culture. We just want to blend in. But then there's grace and truth Christians who actually stand up and stand out because they don't conform to the culture. They transform the culture. Daniel honored God, and then God honored Daniel and actually released spiritual gifts into his life. Look at this. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Put that in your pocket, guys. Visions and dreams. This is a next-level spiritual gift. Put it in your pocket because next week this is going to be important. But I want you to see that because culture, when you get tested by the culture, it's not just an obstacle. From God's perspective, it's an opportunity for you to advance spiritually. It's a chance to be promoted by God as he equips you for next-level service in his kingdom. God released a supernatural gift in Daniel's life. Why? Because he stood firm, because he loved well, so be encouraged. 
If you feel pressured by people around you, don't resist the friction of this cultural moment. I want you to lean in. Lean in with your small groups. Dig into this material. It's an invitation from Jesus to grow in his grace and truth. And I I promise you, he will give you his Holy Spirit who empowers you to stand firm and love well, just like Jesus. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that we were born into this world for this purpose, to radiate the grace and truth of your son, Jesus Christ. Where would we be without you, Jesus? We just look at your majesty, we look at your genius, your brilliance, and we thank you for the example of Daniel. Father, I pray over these next five weeks that you would anoint our small groups, cause, Father, a revival, a revolution in our hearts. I pray that you would draw out of your people buried courage and conviction to stand firm and to love well in this broken culture. Father God, we are surrounded by men and women who don't know their right hand from their left, and you have called us to proclaim the name of Jesus and lift him high, and we'll never be ashamed of that. But Lord, we don't ever want our heart to grow hard. We always want to respond with the love and the grace that you have shown us through Jesus on the cross. Maybe you're here today, we're still praying, maybe your eyes are closed, your head is bowed, and this is a moment you realize, man, I don't have grace or truth in my life. Or maybe you've sung Amazing Grace, but you're like, I gotta open my life up to God's truth because he wants more from me. I'm falling short of his standard. If that's you, you could just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Or maybe I rededicate my life to you. I need your amazing grace. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I call it what it is, but I turn from it now. And I open my heart to your truth. Change my heart. Make me more like you. Today, I surrender my life completely to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. We're excited to dig in. I'll see you next week for Daniel Dilemma, part two. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.